Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Mackenzie Zacharias, newly minted Team Manitoba, took home the Scotties crown in Carberry on Sunday. They'll be representing Manitoba at the Scotties, the national championship in Thunder Bay. Also, we'll talk to John Hodge of Three Down Nation looking ahead to the Blue Bomber offseason. They have a lot of people to re-sign. We'll get into it on the podcast. Yesterday, in Carberry, Manitoba, the Manitoba Scotties title was on the line. Christy Watling and Mackenzie Zacharias. It comes down to the final shot, and Zacharias makes the hit to win the match, and she will wear the Buffalo on her back at the Scotties in 2022, and she joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. 24 hours later, Mackenzie, how good does it sound that you're provincial curling champion? Yeah, wow. <laughs> I don't think it's actually quite sunk in yet. Uh, just hearing you say that now, that sounds pretty incredible. Um, definitely has been a crazy week, and uh, just thrilled that we were able to pull it off in the end. So knowing that Jennifer Jones and Carrie Anderson were not in the field this year because Jones is representing Manitoba, the Olympics, Anderson's the defending Scotty's champ. Did that have you going in thinking you maybe had a better shot than you normally would have to win? I mean, um, coming from Manitoba, the three of the top five teams in the world, I think they're all currently um, here in this province. And, so we knew getting back to the Scotties after last year being in the bubble may not be the most realistic goal at the start of the season. But having Carrie Anderson win and go back to the Nationals this year, Jennifer Jones, of course, going to the Olympics, and just having the number one team in the world at the Provincials, we knew we'd have a better shot at getting ourselves into like a playoff situation and potentially the final. Um, but we knew it was still a bit of a long shot and would take a lot of hard work. And after the weekend and we had and how everything kind of played out. We found ourselves in that championship game and we were ready to go and uh, things worked out for us. So you, you, you go into that last draw of the championship pool. If you lose, you might end up in a tiebreaker. You win and you get the berth to the championship match. How big was that win in that final championship pool game? Because that was a close game too. Yeah, that was an incredibly close game. We played Team Caitlin Jones and... Um, I mean, they played absolutely fantastic. I had to make a really, um, I had to make a draw to like the full forefoot, I think, on my last one there. And it came up just in time uh, for us to squeak out that win. And I mean, if we don't win that game, I think we had to play Tracy Fleury and tiebreaker was going to look like. And I mean, <laughs> to beat Tracy Fleury once was hard enough. I don't know if we were going to be able to do it twice, but um, we're just so fortunate and happy to be able to pull off that last championship game that got us into the playoffs. Do you think that being a world junior champion and having the experience in the national championship last year gave you maybe a bit of an edge over Christy Watling in yesterday's match because she doesn't have that big match experience like you do? Um, the Christy Watling team, they're absolutely fantastic. I think I know that like, Christy's played in a couple of um, Manitoba junior finals before, so they maybe haven't played on the national stage as much, but they do have some of that experience in big games. Um, I think what stands out for our team is that we have a lot of lot of experience playing big games together as a foursome. Um, so with that experience, we kind of we know how to help each other out. We know um, what to tell each other during certain ends if we're feeling nervous or if we're, the emotions are running high at all. Um, so I think just for our team in particular, just because we've played together for the past three years now and in some pretty big games, that kind of helped us out when it came to that final. 
So looking back to last year, Scotty's experience, you go three and five in the bubble. It's kind of an unusual experience because there's all of a sudden three wildcard teams. And again, there were no fans there. How much do you think that helps you going into this tournament now where you are representing a province? Yeah, that was definitely a different experience last year in the bubble for sure. Um, having no fans, kind of being selected last minute as a wild card team. I mean, it was an absolute dream come true, and I wouldn't change anything about it. But um, we didn't exactly get into the bubble and have the results that we wanted to, going only three and five. Um, so I think there's definitely some unfinished business there. So we're looking forward to getting to Thunder Bay now and hopefully um, pulling out a few more wins. Have you thought at all about the the COVID landscape right now on December 20th and seeing the case numbers and worried at all that maybe some of these playdowns won't actually get to happen in different provinces? Yeah, we were kind of keeping tabs on that as we were going along last week and um, just watching the case numbers rise and some restrictions come into place starting this week. It was very nerve-wracking. Um, just even thinking maybe we won't have fans when we get the Thunder Bay because that was a big challenge last year in the bubble. Um, and also the possibility, like, will we get to play this national championship? Um, and then, again, like you said, some of the playdowns may not happen across the country this year. And I know that, like, that many provinces might have to select their teams. And for us, if that would have happened, we would not have been the team selected. So I think I really hope every province gets to have their playdowns just to give every team a shot. But um, hopefully everyone can stay safe and do that. So in the meantime, then, in the month that you have to prepare, we again, we don't know if in like mm-hmm. three weeks they have to shut down curling clubs, in which case that would be really, really bad. But yeah. in, the, in the next little bit, then do you take a, a break after this big win yesterday? When do you start really grinding to get ready for the, the big deal, Scotties? Yeah, so we're all, we're all kind of going our own ways for Christmas now. My sister and I are back in our hometown, Altona, and then... Uh, the two, Lauren and Carly, they're from the East Coast, so they're going home for a little bit as well. Uh, based on restrictions, I believe we can still practice a little bit. So we might take a bit of a break for Christmas, but do some individual practice. And then hopefully things start looking up a little bit in January and we can start working hard again and working towards the Scotties. So you're you're still very young in your curling career. It might be impossible to answer this question, but... Where does this win yesterday rank as far as your career achievements so far? Oh, wow. (laughs) This is something I actually haven't really thought about that much yet. Um, It's definitely up there. I mean, winning a Canadian championship is something that not a lot of people get to do in their lives. I think just being able to, even if it was a junior title, just getting to wear that chance to wear that maple leaf on our backs was absolutely incredible. And that world championship as well, that game was absolutely huge but this this is probably going to be up there for definitely the top three the canadians the worlds and then this as well this provincial championship because i mean we didn't know that the next time that we were going to get to wear the yellow again at a national stage Uh, we were kind of banking on wild card trying to get our points up there to have a shot at that because i mean coming from manitoba the the field is just so deep and you never know the next chance that you're going to have to wear that buffalo on your back you're still the reigning world junior champion, aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. I'm hoping the world juniors run this year, but yeah, I guess you could still be considered the reigning champs. That's right. Are you still in school or are you done with school? I'm in my last year of school, actually. So I just finished a practicum. 
um, this fall. So that was keeping me pretty busy. But now I have a couple more classes to do in the spring, and then hopefully I'll graduate. And that's all online, I guess, for the for at least the next little bit. Yeah, it was supposed to be um, at campus, but unfortunately, yeah, it got moved to online again. But yeah. And so, have you figured out? what you want to do other than, of course, curling at a high level once you've graduated? Oh, isn't that the question? Um, Yeah, curling is definitely something that I want to continue to do in my future. Um, But, of course, that doesn't always pay all the bills. So um, after graduation, I'm going to be working on getting my CSEP CEP, which is a certification uh, for clinical exercise physiology. Um, So I'm going to work on getting that and We'll kind of see where that takes me after I complete that. Well, I wish you best of luck in all your endeavors, curling and academic and otherwise. Appreciate your time tonight and best of luck at the uh, Scotties in Thunder Bay. Yeah, thank you so much. It was only eight days ago that the Minnesota or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were Grey Cup champions when they beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats in overtime on the road. But what about 2022? The goal of a three-peat, well, they don't really have a roster right now. So many free agents. And to talk about that, we're joined by John Hodge of Three Down Nation. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Christian. Pleasure. So when we're looking at the CFL landscape as a whole, before we get to the Bombers, the trend of one-year contracts and all these free agents. Is this something that you think needs to be addressed going forward? Absolutely. It needs to be addressed. And and Pandora's box, so to speak, got opened in 2014 when the CFL and CFLPA ratified a new collective bargaining agreement that allowed veterans for the first time to sign one-year contracts. And the union trumpeted it as a, a win at that time, its leadership has has since changed, but you know they they heralded it as you know the the you know a huge success because they saw it as the best way for player salaries to increase. Of course, the other side of the coin was the the cap you know didn't go up in a in a tremendously meaningful way, and so every player who gets a raise, you know, you need to, to have that balanced by a player who who takes a pay cut, and so. Over the last seven years, the CFL has generally become, outside of your top, top quarterbacks, um, or maybe, you know, an all-star here or there, exactly. The, the CFL is, is operating on a, on a series of one-year contracts. There's over 300 players across the league who are set to become free agents in early February 2022. So the Bombers' free agent list is, is exceptionally long, but unfortunately it, it matches the other eight. And so certainly... You know, for a number of reasons, including, you know, the desire for continuity, the desire for fans to build relationships with players, for, for people to become more invested in the league, etc. This is certainly an issue that needs to be rectified moving forward. And so how does that happen? Is it something that the owners and, and players work out between them to, to change the CBA? Or is this just a, a, a different way of doing business as far as GMs are concerned and, and they just don't hand out one-year contracts anymore? Well, the, the issue that the players have at the moment, and I've spoken with CFLPA Executive Director uh, Brian Ramsey about this, Solomon Elamibian, the future Hall of Fame linebacker, 
um, you know, who currently serves as the union's president, uh, have talked about this. And essentially, a CFL contract, there are lots of players under your multi-year contracts. The problem is that with the exception of the first year, the rest of the years are, are essentially meaningless. Uh, the way a normal CFL contract is structured is, you know, you're, you're, you're often paid a signing bonus, right, to sign the, the contract. You're afforded a salary or given some incentives often. And then in, in the second year of the contract, you often have an off-season bonus or maybe a report and pass bonus. That money is paid out by a specific predetermined date or when a player arrives for a training camp. The issue is that if you're released prior to that bonus kicking in, it's as if that year of the contract never existed. We actually saw this happen today when the Montreal Alouettes released Trevor Harris. Harris was acquired by a trade in October after Vernon Adams Jr. was knocked out for the year with a shoulder injury. The Alouettes have since re-signed Trevor Harris through, or pardon me, Vernon Adams Jr. through 2023. And so they cut Harris because he was due a massive $300,000 bonus on February 1st. So this is an issue that has happened repeatedly and players obviously get frustrated. They say, look, this, this needs to be a two-way commitment. I, because of course, if, if a player commits to a team for three years and they outperform their contract, it's not like they get a raise. Whereas if a team signs you to a three-year contract and you underperform, they're just going to cut you for years two and three. So the players certainly feel like right now it's a one-way street and the league needs to find a way where they can limit losses because, of course, teams don't want to pay out money to guys who are no longer on the team, and they don't want to honor bad contracts. But there needs to be some checks and some balances because the current, uh, the, the current setup is just untenable, if, if you ask me or, or many fans uh, around the league. And the players don't like it either. The players want to set up roots in a community and have longevity with a team, but not at the risk of, of signing a contract that they know is never going to be honored in full. So when we look at the Winnipeg Blue Bomber situation then, John, continuity has been the primary reason we've seen their success in 2021. There was so much volatility across the league. Part of that is because of COVID, and part of that is because of the nature of free agency now. But the Bombers basically ran it back with almost everybody that was there in 2019. In 2021, there were pay cuts taken by some some veterans for sure but looking ahead to 2022 is it possible that they can run it back again with much of the same crew financially is that possible well i I think so i mean the the salary cap didn't change in 2021 as you alluded a lot of players did take cuts because teams generally elected to spend much closer to the salary floor than the ceiling following the financial wake of, of the canceled 2020 season. That was very hard on teams from a financial perspective. Uh, I think the Bombers have done a brilliant job uh, of building a culture that, te- that that players want to be part of. They brought back literally their entire starting offense from 2019, and that paid dividends in 2021 when the offense was arguably the best in the league. Um, defensively, there was very little changeover as well. Now, they have a million free agents this year, uh, most notably Zach Kolaris, the league's reigning MOP, who they need to get back under contract. Um, but that being said, I mean, they, they did it for 2021. I don't see a reason they can't do it for 2022. Um, Mike O'Shea, by all accounts, is back as the head coach. He's under contract uh, for 2022. Um, there is a possibility that assistant general manager Ted Gavaya 
will become the new GM in Edmonton. He's down to one of the two finalist spots uh, in Edmonton for that that role that uh, was occupied by Brock Sunderland in 2021 until he was uh, let go shortly after the season. So, you know, if if, if a player, if a person from your front office leaves, naturally, right, you you you'd assume they might want to bring some talent um, over to their new club. Uh, some of the players they they perhaps scouted or helped recruit to your team. But particularly if Goliath does not depart the team, I think that Winnipeg has a good shot of bringing back a lot of their top players from 2021 to try to finish that three-peat. Well, and the difference between Winnipeg and the other markets is that there seems to be a really clear brotherhood here in this locker room, a real culture that we've heard from a number of players. They just love it here in Winnipeg. A lot of people have, have made their permanent home here. There's been nothing but positive vibes out of that dressing room. And that's a big reason why we saw everyone come back in 2021, because it really wasn't about money. And they felt like they had it, the group together to do it a second time. And they did it. And I guess the question, Sean, is does that still exist after winning twice? Or do you start to think about, oh, you know what? I've won a couple. I want to, I want to actually cash in a little bit this year. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure that exists for some players, and I, I think it depends on the difference, right? I mean, players, for instance, when you make the Grey Cup, you're given an $8,000 bonus. And if you win the Grey Cup, that $8,000 bonus turns into a $16,000 bonus. And in, in the CFL, where the average salary is, you know, somewhere in the eighty dollars to $90,000 mark, you know, get, getting a $16,000 bonus at the end of the year after winning a Grey Cup, that, that's, that's a very significant earnings. And it's taxed, especially for Americans, at a lower rate because it comes in the form of a one-time lump sum bonus as opposed to a salary. So if you're a, 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 you know, a Grey Cup champ and, and somebody offers you, you know, let, let's say Edmondson, for argument's sake, comes along and says, well, we're going to give you a $15,000 raise. To me, that gives me pause if I'm a if I'm a Winnipeg Blue Bomber because I'm going okay. I could leave for fifteen thousand more, but that team was toxic in 2021. They won three games. If I stay here and we go back to the Grey Cup, I'm 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 getting half of that back just as a bonus. And if we win it again, I'm actually making more in Winnipeg. So with the way that playoff bonuses and Grey Cup bonuses work, it often makes financial sense to stay, unless of course another team completely blows your existing offer from Winnipeg or your hometown club out of the water, in which case it's, it's something to, uh, it's something to consider. We, we have seen things like that in the past. You know, Kyle Walters spoke uh, quite candidly about having to overpay free agents in his first seasons as Winnipeg's general manager, because the team was so bad, right. And league wide was considered a joke back in, you know, 2013, 2014, coming out of the Joe Mack era. Winnipeg has since completely rebuilt that reputation. They're now, you know, generally considered the marquee franchise of the league, and that's paying dividends because players will take less money to play for you, knowing that they can potentially make more in the long run with these playoff and great cup bonuses. I'll get you out of here on this, John. You mentioned how Kyle Walters has said before the Bombers had to overspend because they weren't very good. Who is that team now? Is it Ottawa? Is it Edmonton? Who who fits that mold in 2021-22? Well, 
Well, I, I think the team with the biggest talent deficit right now is the Ottawa Red Blacks. They just hired a new general manager yesterday in Sean Burke. And uh, I think that, that that team as a whole, I mean, it starts at the quarterback position. They don't have a starting caliber quarterback right now, in my opinion, um, whether it's Trevor Harris, whether it's Dean Evans or Jeremiah Masoli, who are a couple of starting caliber quarterbacks in Hamilton, you have to start there. But beyond that, there there's issues on that team with the offensive line. Uh, there's issues with the defensive line. I mean, they, they have the worst ranked offense and the worst ranked defense in 2021. With Edmonton, I think it's more of a culture problem than a talent problem. Um, when it comes to the Ottawa Red Blacks, I, I think there's there's certainly a, a major talent problem. So if I was Sean Burke in my first offseason as the general manager, I would be opening the pocketbook as as widely, frankly, as I could with the explicit purpose of loading up as much as I could on, on free agent talent, knowing full well it might not pay dividends in year one, but it's the quickest and, and best way to inject a lot of talent in a short period of time to try to get that club back to respectability for 2022 and beyond. Appreciate this, John. Thanks very much. Have yourself a, a Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll check, catch up again in 2022. Appreciate it, Christian. Anytime. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. Come on, and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all